when I went to college, what was something interesting that happened to me was obviously when you leave home for the first time, you don't know anybody, and your parents, they drive off, and you're just sitting there like, okay, now what? (laughs) You know, and having been raised in the church all of my life, the one thing my parents taught me was you always go to the Lord, and he'll carry you through all whatever you go through. So what was interesting was that one Friday night, I just started reading The Desire of Ages by Ellen G. White. And once I started reading it, I couldn't stop. And I read it from cover to cover, the whole thing. Like, not overnight, but obviously, but over a period of time. And Ellen G. White has this way of bringing to bring into life what was happening in those times in a way that you can, you can almost, it's almost like watching a movie. Um, and so what I wanted to do, I remembered that she described what we're going to be talking about today in Patriots and Prophets in chapter 7. She describes, and I want to allow her to describe, and we're going to discuss as we go, but we're going to go through that passage. So, okay, let's see here. Uh, And if you're watching at home, I have printed out uh, parts of what she's describing directly, and I hand it out to everybody here. Um, But I did leave out a lot of the commentary. Um, I just wanted to pull out the parts where she's describing the days of Noah and and comparing it to our time, because this is very important. Um, But to get going here, so this whole series of sermons that I started two sermons ago, was about Matthew chapter 24, where he's describing the, the signs of the times. And I've done sermons over these before, but I want to specifically go over something that, that really kind of jumps out at you when you read it. Um, he's the, uh, the, the talking about the actual like uh, natural disasters, like earthquakes, famines, pandemics, things of that nature. And while since we're in the middle of a pandemic, I thought this would be an excellent time to actually go over that because there's something that's very interesting. Whenever God's dealing with universal rebellion, he uses nature to serve his purpose. It happened during the flood. It happened in Babylon. I mean, uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's happening now and it's going to happen. It happened at the, the, the seven plagues, the 10 plagues of Egypt. It's going to happen with the seven plagues at the end of time. Like he uses nature to showcase to the world that he is God and he is in control, that he is the creator. And so one thing I want all of us to remember that every time these things happen to us, these these events, these this isn't cruelty. This is him trying to remind us to wake up, that you got to know what the time the times that you live in. And so let's go ahead and read Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. And Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple here. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to him in the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left up here upon one another that shall not be thrown down. The Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed um, that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to tribulation, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So, what, what is the purpose of a sign? Isn't it to remind you of something? Like these signs that he's talking about. He's trying to remind us, you live at the end of time, the end of probation. And as we've read in Revelation and other places, Christians are going to be falling asleep. So he's trying to remind us of this. I, actually, this sermon was supposed to be my last sermon, but I'd done this sermon in Cooper three weeks ago. So while I was fresh, I decided to go ahead and do it now here. Um, but... In the, in the, I did a sermon over the pandemics, and I went through from since the beginning of, time, of Christ, all the pandemics that were, a pandemic is any like, a, a, like disease that spreads across a country's boundary. So like if, a, if the Canada and the United States has a disease happening, that's called a pandemic. What's different about what's happening kind of right now is that this is a global pandemic. And the reason for that is because of the increase of of, of uh, the population and how interconnected we are through technology, like being able to travel from country to country. This pandemic has spread all across the world, making it a great kind of a big pandemic here. Um, and also uh, the next sermon, the last one, we're going to be going over the last parts is the famines, uh, the earthquakes, which we're going to talk about one here. Uh, false prophets and uh, what's the other one? That might be all of them, but we're going to finish off with those. But this one I want to go ahead and do is because in chapters uh, 24, 37 through 39, which is just a few passages later, he's talking about the days of Noah as compared to these days and how similar they are together. So one thing we have to remember, when these things happen and these things are happening to the world, People's hearts tend to open up and be more open to people um, trying to share truth with them because they're questioning, why is this happening and why is this happening to me? Especially if someone has died or, has, or, or, there, or there's a threat of death, people are questioning. Isn't it easier to witness to somebody in a different country than it is in this country? You can hear about all the time where they'll have like a, a seminar in a country and like thousands of people are coming to be baptized. But how often do you hear about that in America or our Western civilization? Not very often because we're comfortable. We have much, right? But in countries where they're, they're, they aren't so privileged or blessed, they tend to uh, be more open to the truth because they're looking for something more, 
right? And so that's why Revelation, he's talking about we're going to fall asleep. And so he, and I, I believe that these events are happening to wake us up. So if we read Matthew 24, 37 through 39 again, but as in the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So we're going to go ahead and start here with Ellen G. White. And we're going to go into the first chapter. So if you have the copy I, I passed out. I have, I have them split up into the parts that I pulled out, and so everybody can follow along. Okay, so she starts with, In the days of Noah, a double curse was resting upon the earth in consequence of Adam's transgression and the murder committed by Cain. Yet this had not greatly changed the face of nature. They were evident tokens of decay, but the earth was still rich and beautiful in the gifts of God's providence. The hills were crowned with majestic trees supporting the fruit-laden branches of the vine. The vast garden-like plains were clothed with verdure and sweet with the fragrance of a thousand flowers. The fruits of the earth were in great variety and almost without limit. The trees far surpassed in size, beauty, and perfect proportion, any now to be found. Their wood was of fine grain and hard substance, closely resembling stone and hardly less enduring. Gold, silver, and precious stones existed in abundance. So in this time, remember, this is the time from the, the Garden of Eden to the flood. These, the people who lived in this world, like there had never rained before. So this was like, so for a prophet like Noah to start talking about rain and the flood, like this was completely something that they didn't know anything about. And they didn't like, it wasn't like they had seen rain before and were just like, oh, it, it won't rain that much. But they were like, what are you talking about, Noah? You're crazy, right? I'm going to ask y'all a question. Were the people of this time stupid? Were they intelligent? Did they have their own technologies? Did they, like, did, didn't they understand? Like, a lot of people don't understand. But those people lived for a lot longer periods of time, like hundreds of years. And they were very smart people. Um, and, she, and, and Ellen G. White's going to talk about that a little bit here. Uh, God bestowed upon these antediluvians many rich gifts. But they used his bounties to glorify themselves and turn them into uh, a curse by fixing their affections upon the gifts instead of the giver. They employed the gold and silver, the precious stones and the choice wood in the construction of, in, of habitations for themselves and endeavored to excel one another in beautifying their dwellings with the most skillful workmanship. They sought only to gratify the desires of their own proud hearts and revel in scenes of pleasure and wickedness not desiring to retain God in their knowledge. Soon they became to deny his existence. They adored nature in place of God of nature. The glorified human genius worshipped the works of their own hands and taught their children to bow down to graven images. What what was happening was a gradual fall into degradation. At first they worshipped God. Then they would build idols and things to represent God and over time they began to actually worship the things they created but ultimately what happened was they started to glorify and to um, worship themselves which is basically what atheism is about it's the glorifying of man above God man is God right 
That's what, what's happening in this time period is a gradual degradation. What happens, um, well, let's think about our time. Let's talk about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Since 1844, we've been saying the Lord was going to come back until we realized he went into the most holy place and that we have still had a period of time here. But we've been saying we live in the last days. We are at the end of time, right? But as time has dragged on, have we slowly, gradually stopped being so watchful and so... Um, What's the word? Have we been falling slowly into degradation? Have we been slowly falling away from um, that ardent watchfulness that we had when we first began? Aren't there a lot of seven-day Adventists now that are no longer seven-day Adventists because because they start to doubt the times, that they start to doubt the word? Isn't the world making fun of Christians talking about the end of time and the second coming of Christ? That is what usually happens. Satan doesn't just change you like change things like in an instant. He slowly drags you through the change until it becomes normal for you. So men of God, uh, and we're going to keep going here. Men put God out of their knowledge and worship the creatures of their own imagination. And as a result, they became more and more debased. The psalmist describes the effect produced upon the worshiper by the adoration of idols. He says that they make them are they that they make them are like unto them. So it is everyone that trusted in him. Psalms 115 verse 8. It is a law of the human mind that by beholding we become changed. Man will rise no higher than his conceptions of truth, purity, and holiness. If the mind is never exalted above the level of humanity, if it is not uplifted by faith to contemplate the infinite wisdom and love, the man will constantly uh, will be constantly sinking lower and lower. The worshippers of false gods clothe their deities with human attributes and passions, and thus their standard of character was degraded to the likeness of sinful humanity. They were defiled in consequence, unconscious. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. God had given men his commandments as a rule of life, but his law had tra- has, was transgressed and every conceivable sin was the result. The wickedness of man was open and daring. Justice was trampled in the dust and the cries of the oppressed reached unto heaven. I want you to think about something. We live in a country where we have more food than we need. Uh, we're relatively safe. We have so much time on our hands, right? How wicked are we becoming? Like, have you ever thought about just how, wick, how wicked we're, like, the things that we're coming up with, the things that you hear about in the news, the things that people are doing, both in the open and behind closed doors? That's exactly what Ellen G. White's describing here. It's like every perceivable thing that they could come up with in their mind, they started to do and participate in. That's exactly what's happening here, what, what we're doing here. So, she, like, it's, it's kind of scary. If you really want to, if this is not all of chapter 7, go back and read chapter 7, the whole thing of Patriots and Prophets, and think about what she's saying and compare it to what you know is happening today. Okay, so uh, 
the men of that generation were not all in the fullest acceptation of the term idolaters. Many professed to be worshipers of God. They claimed that their idols were representations of the deity and that through them the people could obtain a clearer conception of the divine being. This class were foremost in rejecting the preaching of Noah. As they endeavored to represent God by material objects, their minds were blinded to, uh, to his majesty and power. They ceased to realize the holiness of his character or the sacred, unchanging nature of his requirements. As sin became general, it appeared less and less sinful. And as they finally declared that the divine law was no longer in force, that it was contrary to the, to the character of God to punish transgression, they denied his, that his judgments were to be visited upon the earth. Had the men of that generation obeyed the divine law, they would have recognized the voice of God in the warning of his servant. But their minds had become so blinded by rejection of, the, of light that they really believed Noah's message to be a delusion. So, have you noticed that, this is you Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Adventists that tend to fall away from the faith are the loudest in their criticism of Seventh-day Adventists. And Christians who fall away from Christianity are the loudest critics and, and, and outspoken people against Christianity. That's exactly what she's saying here. Like, there were these people, they hadn't, like, there were a lot of men and women of that time that hadn't fully denied God. They had just gradually started to worship the, the idols that represented God. But as Noah preached all these years, they became less and less. Uh, fearful of what he was saying and started to openly mock him. And so, let's keep going here. The world before the flood, reason for that centuries the laws of nature had been fixed. The recurring seasons had become in their order, and hereto before, rain had never fallen. The earth had been watered by mist or dew. The rivers had never yet passed their boundaries, but had borne their waters safely to the sea. Fixed decrees had kept the waters from overflowing their banks, but these reasons did not recognize the hand of God who had stayed the waters, saying, Hereto thou shalt but no father, Job thirty eight, eleven. So as time passed on with no apparent change in nature, men whose heart had at times trembled with fear began to be reassured. They reasoned as many reason now that the nature is above the God of nature, that her laws are so firmly established that God himself could not change them. Reasoning that if the message of Noah were correct, nature would be turned out of her course. They, had, they made that message in the minds of the world a delusion, a grand deception. They manifested their contempt for the warning of God by doing just as they had done before the warning was given. They continued their festivities and their gluttonous feasts. They ate and drank, planted and built it, laying their plans in reference to advantages they hoped to gain in the future. And they were greater links in wickedness and in defiant disregard of God's requirements to testify that they had no fear of the infinite one. They asserted that if there were any truth in what Noah had said, the men of renown, the wise, the prudent, the great men would understand the matter. Do the world fear God today? Let me put it this way. Do none like do non-professing Christians fear God? No, not at all. Do the wise men of our time fear God? Not at all. Do people put their faith in the wise people, the wise men 
of our time, the rich, wealthy men of our time, when men and women. Like, that's, that's a, like, it's easy to look at these people before the flood and be like, how, how, could you, how could you not believe what he was saying? But we are doing the same thing today. I would even go so far as to say many Christians are falling into this character, category as well. We are doing more and more of what the world does than the other way around. We're coming more like them than they are becoming like us. And this is the warning that God's trying to um, remind us. It's like, you, the, you, Christians will fall asleep. He's trying to wake us up. So, what we're going to do here is we're going to jump from the part where he's preaching to seven days, to the eighth day after the doors have been shut. All right? He's already preached. The animals have all come into the, the, to the uh, ark. The doors have been closed. There are still, like, the people are all still out there mocking Noah, laughing, and the whole thing. But upon the eighth day, dark clouds overspread the heavens. They followed the mutterings of the thunder and the flash of lightning. Soon large drops of rain began to fall. The world had never witnessed anything like this, and the hearts of men were struck with fear. All were secretly inquiring, can it be that Noah was in the right, and the world is doomed to destruction? Darker and darker grew the heavens, and faster came the falling rain. The beasts were roaming about in the wildest terror, and their discordant cries seemed to moan out to their own destiny and the fate of man. Then the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Water appeared to come from the clouds and mighty cataracts. Rivers broke away from their boundaries and overflowed the valleys. Jets of water burst from the earth with indescribable force, throwing massive rocks hundreds of feet in the air, and these and falling birds themselves deep in the ground. We always talk about this story about the great flood. But if you really pay attention to what she's saying here, she just described the world's greatest earthquake, too. This was the first earthquake. If you keep reading in chapter 8, which in the next sermon I'll read that little passage, she describes how this earthquake created the earthquakes that we experience today. This was the great earthquake. God is using Mother Nature to the purpose of his will. By the word of God, the world that, was, that, that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and perdition unto, of God, ungodly men. 2 Peter 3, 5-7. Another storm is coming. The earth will again be swept by the desolating wrath of God, and sin and sinners will be destroyed. The sins that call for vengeance upon the interdelivering world exist today. The fear of God is banished from the hearts of men, and his law is treated with indifference and contempt. The tense, intense worldliness of that generation is equal by that of the generation living now. Now living, says, uh, said Christ, as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 38 through 39. God did not condemn the antediluvians for eating and drinking. He had given them the fruits of the earth in great abundance to supply their physical wants. Their sin consisted in taking these gifts without gratitude to the giver and debasing themselves by indulging in uh, appetite without restraint. 
It was lawful for them to marry. Marriage was in God's order. It was one of the first institutions which he established. He gave special directions concerning this ordinance, clothing it with sanctity and beauty. But these indirections were forgotten and marriage was perverted and made to minister to passion. Is she talking about then or now? <laughs> do we do we hold marriage in the same light that we used to? And I'm speaking this to everybody, the world. Is it is it sanctified? Is it holy now? No. Are we marrying, giving in marriage? Are we um, trying to build wealth, the American dream? What what are we doing exactly? That's that's what he, that's what Ellen G. White's talking about here. Is that We've forgotten where we are in time. What's more important right now? Is it all those things? Is it about getting the house with the extra bedroom and bath? Is it about getting that other nice car? Is it about those vacations to all around the world? Or is it about saving souls? Because we are in the last moments, seconds of time here. That's what she's talking about. A similar condition of things exists now. That which is lawful in it in itself is carried to excess. Appetite is indulged without restraint. Professed followers of Christ are today eating and drinking with the drunken, while their names stand in honored church records. Intemperance benumbs the moral and spiritual powers and prepares the way for indulgence of the lower passions. Multitudes feel under no moral obligation to curb their sensual desires, and they become the slaves of lust. Men are living for the pleasures of sense, for this world and this life alone. Extravagance pervades all circles of society. Integrity is sacrificed for luxury and display. And they that make haste to be rich pervert justice and oppress the poor. And slaves and souls of men are still bound and sold. Fraud and bribery and theft stalk unrebuked in high places and in low. The issues of the press team uh, with records of murder, crimes so cold-blooded and causeless that it seems as that every instinct of humanity were blotted out. And these atrocities have become so common occurrence that they hardly elicit a common or awakened surprise. The spirit of anarchy is permeating all nations and the outbreaks that uh, from time to time excite the horror of the world are but indications of the pent-up fires of passion lawlessness that have once escaped control will fill the earth with woe and desolation. The picture um, which inspirations have given of the anti-delivering world represent too truly the condition to which modern society is fast hastening. Even now in the present century and in professedly Christian lands, there are crimes daily per- uh, perpetuated as black and terrible as those for which the old world sinners were destroyed. You can't open up a newspaper or get online without hearing about the latest um, shooting, massacre, um, rape, um, you name it, you open up, just turn your computer on any day and see if you're not told a story happening in this country, not the rest of the world, just this one. And if you think about it, 100 years ago, if somebody was to read that story, they'd be horrified, right? It would be the, it would be the talk of the town. You read it now and you're just like, wow. And then you just keep going. Because it's so common. You hear it so much, right? That's what she's talking about. It's like this evil and this sin becomes so common 
that it doesn't even elicit a response. That's not right. <laughs> like, when you read something like that, you should be horrified to your very core that somebody could do whatever it is they've done. But that's not the way it is now. Um, before the flood, God sent Noah to warn the world that the people might be led to repentance and thus escape the threatening destruction. As the time of Christ's second coming uh, appearing draws near, the Lord sends his servants with a warning to the world to prepare for that great event. Multitudes have been living in transgression of God's law, and now he, he in mercy calls them to obey his sacred precepts. All who would put away their sins by repentance toward God and faith in Christ are offered pardon. But many feel that it requires too great a sacrifice to put away sin because their life does not harmonize with the pure principles of God's moral government. They reject his warnings and not deny the authority of his law. You know, we're supposed to be priests and priestesses. We Christians, followers of Christ, we should be striving for purity and holiness, right? That is, that is what we're called to do. We should, I would like for all of us, not to say it out loud, but just privately, just examine your own life. Are, we, are you holy? Have you ever thought about that? Are you holy? I'm, I can tell you right now, I'm not. And, that's, and I fail in my journey every day. I can't imagine what my, our kids are going through. They're going through stuff that we haven't even dreamed of. But as Christians, are we pure? Are we, are we priests and priestesses? Do the world perceive us as such? When somebody's going through a spiritual struggle, do they want to come to you for advice, for guidance? I can tell you that this is, this is where we have failed, even in Seventh-day Adventists. We live in this world where there is temptation around every corner, and be, by beholding wickedness, it is changing us. It is stopping us in our journey to, in this pursuit of holiness and this, to be more like Christ. Christ. Being a Christian is not being on the roll call of a church. Christ, the word Christian is Christ-like. It is a description of your character. There's a lot of people out here calling themselves Christians that are not Christians. There's a lot of people in the pulpit who call themselves Christians and pastors who are not Christians. That is, that is the state that we live in in this world. And this is why these things are have to come to pass because probation has to end at some point. He has given us time. That is what this delay is all about. He's trying to save every soul that he can, and he's delaying, trying to give us one more opportunity, one more day, one more soul. As the time of their probation was closing, the antediluvians gave themselves up to exciting amusements and festivities. Those who possessed influence and power were bent on keeping the minds of the people engrossed with mirth and pleasure, lest any should be impressed by the last solemn warning. Do we not see the same repeated in our day? While God's servants are giving the message that the end of all things is at hand, the world is absorbed in amusements and pleasure seeking. There is a constant round of excitement that causes indifference to God and prevents the people from being impressed by the truths which alone can save them from the coming destruction. In Noah's day, philosophers declared that it was impossible for the world to be destroyed by water. So now there are men of science who endeavor to show that the world cannot be destroyed by fire. 
that, there would, that this would be inconsistent with the laws of nature. But the God of nature, the maker and control of her laws, can use the works of his hands to serve his own purpose. When great and wise men had proved to their satisfaction that it was impossible for the world to be destroyed by water, when the fears of the people were quieted, when all regarded Noah's prophecy as a delusion upon him as a fanatic, then was that God's time had come. The fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open, and the scoffers were overwhelmed in the waters of the flood. With all their boasted philosophy, men found too late that their wisdom was foolishness, that the lawgiver is greater than the laws of nature, and the omnipotence is at no loss for means to accomplish his purposes, as it was in the days of Noah. Even thus shall it be in the days when the Son of Man is revealed, Luke seventeen twenty six and 30. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. When the reasoning of philosophy has banished the fear of God's judgment, when religious teachers are pointing forward to long ages of peace and prosperity, and the world are absorbed in the rounds of business and pleasure, planting and building, feasting and merrymaking, rejecting God's warnings and mocking his messengers, then it is that sudden destruction cometh upon them, and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. He just, she just described our time. You would think, like, if the, think about it. If the whole, if, if, if just the Christian world were doing what it's supposed to be doing, we would be, there would be such like events of prayer and and worship and there would just be this incredible spread of God the, the gospel there would just be this this movement to save the world but that's not really what's happening now it's gone to the point where people see Christian churches as a business opportunity we know of mega churches right that when the flood happened here in Houston, they wouldn't even open their doors to let the people in. That's where we've gotten. Right? We are so absorbed in the business and pleasure of this world that we have fallen asleep. We know the truth. But are we falling asleep to the point where we're not being guarded about our faith. Every time there is an earthquake, a fire, a tornado, a hurricane, a volcanic eruption, a pandemic, that's Noah's banging on that ark, and every sound that you hear is him saying, come into the ark. The time is near. Instead of seeing these events as as disasters and, and terrible and woe is us, why is this happening to us? This is the opportunity. There's a lot of people right now that are hurting because they've lost people. And they're wanting to know why. Are we telling them why? Are we sharing the gospel? That's a good question, right? People, when they go through hardship, are more open to the truth. 
that is why he allows us Christians to go through hardship, because he has to bring us back. He has to rein us back in. We get to that point where we feel like it's because of what I'm doing that I have what I have and I'm doing what I'm doing. And he has to allow you to go through the hardships to remind you that it is because of him. That it is through those hardships that you get closer to God. And I could testify that to that all day. So that's what this whole sermon, this series is about. It's like, I wanted to put up the display, like, this pandemic is not the first pandemic. It's not the last pandemic. It's, this is going to happen until the Lord comes back. These natural disasters aren't going to quit. We're not going to solve these as, as technologies. and so, that These things are going to happen. And we as human beings are not greater than God. And these things have to come to pass so that time and probation can end. And then that's when you're going to see some real um, natural disasters. No seven plagues at the, like, at the end. God is going to preserve us through those. We're not going to suffer the way the world will suffer through those plagues. But it is through natural disasters that God displays his authority. We should also, but we should be paying attention saying, God, thank you for reminding me again to get my heart right. I'm sorry for what I'm doing. Help me to be better. Help me and show me who it is I need to reach because there are people right now who are open to his word. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and let's have a word of prayer. Lord, first of all, thank you so much for giving us more time. How many of us would be lost today if you hadn't given us this today to repent, to acknowledge our failures, and to come to you and ask for your grace again? Lord, thank you so much for giving us and loving us so much that you are not in such a hurry that you are giving another soul an opportunity to accept your grace. Lord, we ask that you give us the courage to go out and to share your grace no matter what that consequence may be. And Lord, we just want to thank you for warning us and trying to wake us up and trying to to save our souls through whatever means you have to do it through, Lord. We will praise you and we will follow you, Lord. Thank you so much. Lord, we ask that you be with the people as, as these events are happening across the world. We ask that you send the Holy Spirit to open their hearts that they may receive your message. We ask that many souls will be saved because you're allowing these things to come to pass that you said would. And Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you so much for all these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.